Good morning, Westside. When you get to Ephesians chapter 4, say, God is good. Okay, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 13 today. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue Bible just like this in the pew in front of you. And you can take that home with you today. That's our gift to you. We want you to fall in love with God's Word and to read it and dive in at home and not just here on Sunday mornings. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also had descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who has descended is one who has also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to measure the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Please direct your attention to the screen. I am Kristen Brooks. And I'm Clayton Brooks. And we have been at Westside for about three and a half years, and we are the Kids Side Directors. Um, I think it means people you can count on, no matter what. People that, in the middle of the night, if you need something, you have somebody to call, to, um, to bounce ideas off of, to push you to be better. Um, I think just somebody, a support system, just somebody that is there no matter what. Yeah, you know they're going to love you and and care for you no matter what you're going through. We kind of talked about this earlier. Um, Church used to just be, you'd come, you'd sit there, it was all about getting something. And now it's the focus is more on other people. It's not about just me and my Christianity. It's about what we can give to other people and kind of building that sense of community in the church. You never find a group of people that's going to love you more than, than the church does, than Westside does. They're always there for you, no matter what. And they're going to push you. Like I said, you can always count on if you if you need that push. There have been times that I've called somebody and said, I don't know what to do, and it's a tough decision, and you don't you know sometimes what you're supposed to do, and you just need that person to say, you know what you're supposed to do, but I'm going to pray for you, and I'm here if you need to talk. And so just knowing that those people are there no matter what and having that those people to push you to do better and to be better. Well, amen. 
So we're continuing in our sermon series entitled One and Many, and you're going to be hearing from different people within the life of the church and what the church means to them and what their role is. And one of the things we're doing as well out there at the Welcome Center, um, we have a book uh, entitled by Sam Storms, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. And so that's on sale for $10. It cost us $12. We're just selling it to you for $10. We want you to pick that up. That's going to be supplemental to our study and everything that we're sort of diving into and allow you to go deeper. And then teachers also, those of you who signed up last week, you can stop by the Welcome Center. I forgot to tell you. We told you we were giving you all this stuff and then didn't tell you where to get it, right? You can go by the Welcome Center and we've got your name and information and stuff there and you can take that. And if we missed you, we'll take your information down and uh, give you that gift as well. And so one in many, we're talking about that I'm one person, but I'm a part of many. I'm one member of a body. And last week, if, if you weren't here for that, we sort of launched into this series. It was an important sermon. You can go to our website or podcast to check that out. It sort of uh, laid the groundwork for everything that we're doing. And last week, here's kind of what we said the big idea was. We said the church is a diversity of people, right? I mean, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different incomes, different political views, different all of that. It's a diversity of people that are a unity of people, one, who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that tension, that beautiful tension, is what makes us who we are as a church. That it's not about one this, one that, but it's about all of us loving and serving one person, Jesus Christ, and having one mission together. So that's going to be an important thing for you to check out. And today, sort of to set us up where we're going, I ran across a very interesting article that was published on December 4th, 2017 by the New York Times. And on December 4th, 2017, 400 musicians gathered in the 23rd Street Armory of Philadelphia to perform a musical piece. There's a couple things interesting about this group. Number one, it ranged from kids who were eight years old playing a violin to 70-year-old people playing a trumpet. I mean, it was all types of people. But what made it even more interesting was the instruments that they were playing were broken. And when I mean broken, I mean like violin cracked, pencil shoved in here to keep the strings and a trumpet that didn't trumpet or I don't know what that could, you know, or do anything like that. They were broken instruments. And they were led by the conductor Jace Orgren, who is world-renowned. And the reason why they did this was... It was to bring awareness to public school systems about kids who have to play in inner city broken instruments at the school. And so they're not able to really fully participate in band and do all of that because, quite frankly, the instruments are broken and not up to par. And so all the admission went to purchasing more instruments for kids there in the Philadelphia school system. But listen to what the article said. As the musical piece opened, many of the instruments were silent. But gradually they found their voices. While a trumpet might not be capable of a sound, the keys could tap a rhythm. The scraping of a bow over the silhouette of the violin body could add an unusual element. At one point, a cellist made noise by turning the strings on the peg. As the 40-minute symphony progressed, the instruments roared to life. Some musicians struggled, like a clarinetist who could only get out a few short spurts of sound, and a French horn player who kept losing the mouthpiece. But at the end, the article says this, but together, the orchestra produced beautiful, rich harmony. And when I read that, I thought, 
That's the church. Broken instruments making a beautiful sound. That if we are a diversity of people who are a unity of people, we recognize that being a Christian is not about being perfect. It's about being forgiven and progressing and stumbling forward to the person of Jesus Christ. But that Jesus has enabled us, that he has made us his church, one body. And then sort of like that orchestra, what we'll see today is is that we've been given a gift something to play a part of, if you will, in the symphony. That if the church is a group of broken people making a noise for the glory of God, our conductor is Jesus Christ. And we're having to learn how to participate and what our role is in all of this. And in our passage today, things transition from being a diversity that's a unity, but we see something particular today. We see that the church has been given something. And here's the thesis and the big idea is this. The church is a diversity of people. That's a unity of people who've been given spiritual gifts for ministry. That's what we see in our passage. We see that we're not just a church because God tells us we're a church. We're a church because we have a mission and then God gives us certain gifts to accomplish that mission. And here's what I love about this and where we're going as a church that every single member and person matters in the body. That you're going to find out through this series that you've been given a gift, that you have a vital role to partake in the mission of God moving forward. And so we have to ask ourselves some questions to learn from the text. So as a Google Maps where we're going, we're going to ask, who is the giver, what is the giver giving, and why is the giver giving it? Okay? So the first question that we ask is this, who is the giver? Who is the giver? Look in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So who's the giver? Christ, right? It's okay. Jesus, normally, if you shout that out most of the time in church, it'll be a right answer, okay, right? So who's the giver? Jesus is, right? Christ. But look at how it describes it, verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens. Here's what's interesting. Paul says Jesus is the giver, right? You tracking? You following with me on that? Yeah, okay. But he quotes something to describe that. And in your Bible, that's probably in brackets, and it's been dropped down, and it sort of stands apart, that he ascended thing. Because that's a quotation of Psalm 68, verse 16. Now, here's what's interesting. Psalm 68 is a psalm about Moses leading the people of God out of slavery in Egypt. So you remember that when Charlton Heston did that thing in that movie that one time, right? So Moses, right, leads the people out of slavery in Egypt, goes to Mount Sinai, walks up the mountain, ascends, meets with God, gets the Ten Commandments, and then descends and gives the commandments, the gifts, to the people of God. But Paul says, that's Christ. Are you confused yet? Here's what he's saying, and I think this is important for us to stop and talk about. Paul is challenging and affirming the way that we read the Bible. Here's what's important about that. Listen, you're going to get a seminary education for free. This is what's called hermeneutics, right? How you let the Bible interpret the Bible. So Paul says that as Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt in slavery and gave them gifts, the law of God, that that's actually a shadow that points to a greater Moses, 
who led people out of the slavery and bondage of sin. And that through his life, death, being descended into the earth and resurrection as he ascended and sat at the right hand of the Father. Here's what Paul is constantly always teaching us, that you have to read your Bible through the lens of Jesus Christ. That we don't read the Bible for a list of rules and do's and don'ts. That's a fail. Jesus actually challenged the religious people of the day, right? They had all the Awanas awards and the sashes and the sword drills, and they did all that stuff. And Jesus said the most haunting words in the Bible, you search the Scriptures for life, and you do not find it because the Scriptures point to me. So listen, I have to challenge some of us that are you reading the Bible for the fear of end times, and you've got a graph, and you've got all this stuff, and you leave out Jesus? Because it's not about this, that, or the other and the battle of Gog and Magog and all of that. But we read the scriptures to love Christ more. And listen, just because you read your Bible doesn't make Jesus love you more. But boy, reading your Bible will sure make you love Jesus more. Do you see the difference in that? And Paul is saying that Moses is like Jesus, but he's also doing something else. He's using ancient terminology. So Paul is under Rome. It's ancient times. And so when a king back then went off to war and went to battle with another country or another kingdom, and he won, he would have spoils and riches from that. And as he came back into the city, he would ascend to his throne, sit in the middle of the city, and literally give all of the spoils of the victory to the people so that they could be more prosperous. And Paul is saying, that's like Jesus. Listen, you're the 11 o'clock, so you're supposed to be way more attentive than the 9, but I'm about to preach, man, because listen, what Paul is saying is, is that Jesus is like our king, and Jesus went to battle, and he fought sin, death, hell, temptation, and all of those things, and Jesus reigned victorious over that, and he rose from the dead, and as he ascends and sits at the right hand of the Father, that he now gives his people gifts. Listen, that's how radical grace is. You didn't do anything to earn it and you for sure don't deserve it but Jesus did all of the work and allows you to participate in that that is good news and look at what the book of Colossians says and having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them I love that it's what we as Christians love justice you know why Because there's two times, there's going to be another time and there was one time where God's not doing anything in the dark. The scriptures teach that when Jesus died upon Calvary, that it was literally putting the devil and the forces of darkness to public shame. That it wasn't some deal made at night and it wasn't like, well, you can resurrect in the middle of the night when nobody's watching and then leave the town to not cause a ruckus. Or, uh uh buddy. I'm going to split the grave wide open and I'm going to strut out with my Michael Jackson dance. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was a big deal. And that time's coming again, too. That it's not going to be quiet. That when the trumpet sounds, that every knee shall bow. Trump and Colin Kaepernick will bow the knee, brother, when that trumpet sounds, Right? I'm just preaching the Bible, okay? That's all I'm saying. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that justice will reign and it will be a public spectacle. But look how he did it. A public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. You see, the world thought the cross was defeat and in reality it was victory. Here's why Paul is focusing all this time on who the giver is. 
Because the great temptation for us as Christians, and especially talking about spiritual gifts, is this. We will get so sidetracked and be so interested in the gifts that we forget the giver. And the goal is always to love the giver over the gifts. If you come to me and you're arguing about tongues and healing and this, that, and the other, and you've not mentioned Jesus once in that conversation, we got problems, bro, okay? Because the gifts point us to a giver, which is Jesus Christ. So who is the giver? The giver is Jesus. And Paul wants us to love him over the gifts that he's giving. The second thing is this. What is the giver giving? What is the giver giving? Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us. And then verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and all of that. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's where we have to go to our timeline. Jesus had a conversation with his disciples on the night that he was to be betrayed and then crucified. And he actually told his disciples these words in John 15. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. (laughs) Have you ever, like, don't leave me up here, okay? Have you ever had this, like, kind of argued with God a little bit? Like, well, you know what, Jesus, if you were riding shotgun with me today, I probably wouldn't have said that to the guy that cut me off. Or, you know, like, if, you know, if you were here with me, I would be able, I would know if you were present, I would. And Jesus said, no, you don't get it. It's better that I leave. I'm leaving. It's a part of the plan. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is speaking of the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. And that's not a force, sorry Star Wars fans or anything like that, right? It's a person. I will send him to you, right? It's a relationship. Third person always existed. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I wish I had a sermon illustration to describe that, but I cannot because it is a divine mystery, right? But Jesus says the helper. And ladies, by the way, this is for free. This isn't even in my notes, okay? The word helper there, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 2, when God sees Adam and says, it's not good that man should be alone, so I will make a helper fit for him. It's the same word that's used for the creation of of the woman for God the Holy Spirit. So all I'm saying is today at lunch or when you go home, remind your husband, I have the same name as God in the Bible, right? I just think that'll go over really well for you, right? But this is what we're seeing, that when Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, and, and, and he resurrects and sits at the right hand of the Father, that the Holy Spirit comes and now indwells in believers. It's unbelievable. And in verse 7, it says that he gave grace was given. That, that word grace is where we get the word sort of charismatic from or charisma. But a, a better transliteration is donation. And I love that, donation. Because I think when, when it says that God gave us grace or a donation, I just think it shows how helpless we really were and how awesome he really is, right? That like this is a donation, right? The, you had nothing to do with this, but this is all me. And in verse 11, we see that he gives gifted people. And in the next couple of weeks, in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, we're going to walk through and look at what theologians call what the Holy Spirit and what Jesus gave us is spiritual gifts, okay? But I think before we define what those are, I think it's a lot more helpful to define what they're not, sort of clear the table off a little bit, and then place that definition in the middle. So what are spiritual gifts not? The first thing that spiritual gifts are not is the fruit of the Spirit. 
Okay? Sometimes that gets confused. In Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Oh, are you a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, here's the difference. Every believer must show every bit of the fruits of the Spirit. Okay? So you can't get by with going, Well, you know, like, I'm gentle. I think I have that. But I'm not really patient. Right? But uh, you can't do that. Right? Every believer must show every spiritual fruit. The difference with spiritual gifts is not every believer has every spiritual gift, okay? Only Jesus had that, right? That's Superman type stuff. So spiritual gifts are not the fruit of the Spirit. The second thing that they're not is personality traits, okay? Listen, we're going to learn in a minute. Spiritual gifts are supernatural. They supersede the natural, A personality trait's a personality trait. Now, I believe that God was involved in making your personality and all of that stuff. And for some of you, I think he did a poor job. No, I'm just kidding, right? God's perfect in everything that he does, okay? But like an unbeliever who does not have the Holy Spirit can have a nice personality trait. Like, you understand being a Christian is not about niceness. It's about newness. Well, that was good. That was fire. That wasn't even in my notes. Being a Christian is not about niceness. It's about new. It's about being new. So the fruit of the spirit, or I'm sorry, the spiritual gift is not just your personality trait, okay? The third thing is this. Spiritual gifts are not raw talent, right? So I'm talking about like LeBron James does not have the spiritual gift of dunking a basketball, okay? But listen, that boy is a monster, man. 6'6", 250, driving the lance like a 747, man. I mean, goodness gracious. But listen, that boy was born with some talent, okay? And sometimes in the church, when we see what's happening up here or even what's happening right now, you're like, oh, wow, that's all of those spiritual gifts. Some of them, yes. But you'll notice in the list of spiritual gifts, singing is not one of them. Singing's not a spiritual gift. That's a talent, okay? And praise God, we've got talented people, amen, right? Because if I was the music minister, we got problems, bro, right? But that's a talent. Listen, that's not a spiritual gift, okay? But the last most important thing is this. Spiritual gifts are not spiritual merit badges. Now, here's what I mean. Oftentimes in the scriptures, what we see is we see more warnings about the spiritual gifts than we do even about their practical usage. So this past week, we went to the first meeting with my son, Roman, who's six, to Boy Scouts, right? So he wants to get involved in Boy Scouts. And then to my horror, I found out that the parents have to go camping with the kids, right? So on the way home, I was like, son, we're going to pray about this. I just don't feel like the Lord's really leading us to Cub Scouts, right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But when you progress in Cub Scouts, you get badges to show that you're getting older and that you're doing all of this. That's not what spiritual gifts are. Spiritual gifts are not, ooh, you have a miraculous gift of, you know, healing or prophecy or this. You're a super Christian, and I only have the gift of administration and service. Wah, wah, wah. You're much more spiritual. Not at all, right? One of the things we're going to learn is the great sin of spiritual gifts is comparing them, which is a huge problem. Spiritual gifts are not spiritual merit badges that show you're super Christian and you're JV and ride the bench. That's not what this is. So what are spiritual gifts then? Well, here's our working definition we're going to use for the whole series. Spiritual gifts are the supernatural abilities given by God to the people of God to accomplish the work of God for the glory of God. That's a spiritual gift. 
Spiritual gift is a supernatural ability, supersedes nature. This is not, listen, you're not going to 7-Eleven getting a Slurpee and a spiritual gift, okay? It is a supernatural ability given by God, okay? So we can trust that in whom he's gifted, he's probably, I don't know, all-knowing and omnipotent, so he's probably given the right gifts to the right people. Though sometimes I would like to disagree, you know what I mean? Given by God to who? The people of God. For those who have repented of their sin, turned from that, and trusted in Christ. Listen, to accomplish the work of God for the glory of God. Look at how little you're mentioned in that definition. Do you notice that? You're like the people of God, that's it, right? It's not about you. It's always about that this ability that you've been given, supernatural by God. Listen, here's what's profound. Like, let's get real. If people are moving in their spiritual gifts, that the Holy Spirit, to make much of Jesus, then when we see people functioning in their gift, we are seeing Jesus. Charles Spurgeon told a story of a man who came and brought a friend with him to church one day. And before that, they went to the other large church in town. And the man said, you're going to hear two great preachers today. And they went to another church, and the man said, that's the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. And then they went to Spurgeon's church, and they were riding home. And the friend said, well, what did you think of that? And tears streamed down his face. And he said, the first one was the best sermon I've ever heard but the second one was the greatest Jesus I've ever seen. Functioning in your gifting. They don't see you. They see Jesus. That's what spiritual gifts are. But here's where we have to do a little bit of work. Apart from maybe end times theology and a few other things, spiritual gifts are probably the most controversial things talked about within the church. And this is actually a watershed issue with baptism and a few other things as to why we get other denominations. And so I'm going to show you the three main camps, really, that when it comes from, from spiritual gifts, okay? But here's what we have to know. Listen, distinctions among Christians should never cause division among Christians, okay? So some of these things are going to be open-handed issues that we will not divide over. And some of them later on in the series will see our close-handed issues, and we have to all agree upon these things. So what are the three sort of broad views of spiritual gifts? The first one is known as this, cessationists. These people believe the supernatural gifts have ceased since the apostolic age. Some of you are like, that sentence just gave me a headache. What in the world, right? Okay, cessationists to cease. Cease, that's where we get the term from. Now, what this group would believe is that through the establishing of the New Testament church, that God gave particular gifts to establish the church so people would trust the apostles. Meaning this, Paul rolls into town and is like, hey, I want to preach about Jesus. You guys want to listen? People are like, no. Then Paul walks by a guy who's been lame for the rest of his life and is like, oh, yeah, by the way, lame guy, why don't you stand up and walk and do a little jig? And people are like, what in the world? And then Paul's like, hey, I want to preach about Jesus. Anybody want to hear? And they're like, yeah, we want to hear. Look what you just did, right? So they would say that in that establishing of that and the apostles who saw the resurrected Christ and were commissioned by the resurrected Christ, but... As progressive revelation happened, more of the Bible, more church councils and all of those things, that as the church was established, that those gifts, supernatural gifts, ceased. Now, 
Maybe if you grew up Church of Christ, Presbyterian, a little bit of Southern Baptist and stuff, this is probably the line that you grew up learning. Now, this is a great biblical, they can make a great argument for all of those type of things. It's not ignorant by any means at all. I just disagree with it. And I land in the second camp, which is called continuists, okay? So sensationists that they've ceased, continuists, these people believe the supernatural gifts have continued and will continue until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And here's where I guide my hermeneutics for that question. You can answer out loud. Is God still saving people? God's still saving people. Then I believe God is still gifting people. If the greatest gift is salvation and the most supernatural gift of them all is someone being dead in Christ and is alive in Christ, that is a great gift. And so we believe that these things still continue. Now, we're going to disagree upon the practical use of them, and we're going to learn some particulars on that, these supernatural abilities given by God. And then the third camp is this. These people are called crazies, and they believe crazy, okay? I just had to lighten the load. There's a lot of deep theology, all right? Here's what I mean by that. Adrian Rogers says that there's a ditch on either side of the road. One side is, this scares us, we have our Bible, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible, those gifts have ceased, and I'm raising my hand this high in worship, brother, all right, the apostolic age is ended, and I ain't going any higher than this, okay, right? And it's this almost fear, to be honest with you, controls this. The ditch on the other side of the road is emotion and experience is king. So I will leave my Bible at home, and whatever I feel, and whatever my emotions are, That is what will lead me and guide me. Guess where I want to be? Right in the middle. And I believe the people of God, with the Spirit of God in their hearts, a Bible in their hand, and the gospel on their lips, can transform the world. It's important for you to know these areas because I think it will help you in background when you're having conversation and sort of understanding where we're coming from. So who's the giver? Jesus. What's Jesus giving? He's giving spiritual gifts. Those are supernatural abilities given by God to the people of God to accomplish the work of God for the glory of God. But the third question still begs us, why is he giving it? Why? Why does any of this matter? Well, look in verses 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. I believe there's three primary reasons why Jesus is doing this. The first one is this, to exalt Jesus, to make much of him. Look at the very end of verse 12. Building up the body of who? Christ. Hey, listen, this is Jesus' church. Jesus is the senior pastor of Westside. That it's all about Jesus. That'd be a great slogan for a church or something, right? But listen, it's to exalt and make much of Christ. And listen... There is an error in idolatry when it comes to spiritual gifts of making much of experiences and the person, okay? So the Benny Hinn stuff and all of that, we check at the door. Benny Hinn never held a crusade at a hospital, though I wish he should have, all right? It's not making much of any one person other than Christ. It's to exalt Jesus. And the second primary reason is to equip the saints. Look at what it says, to equip the saints, Verse 12. Isn't that crazy? It's right there, right? Do you know what um, my job description is according to Acts chapter 6, verse 4, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12? Not to do the work. 
I'm not your errand boy. It's to equip you to do the work. It's to get you to find your gift and to move in it and to step out in faith in it. So listen, you ain't got to come to me with all your problems. I don't, my prayers don't get to heaven any faster than yours. I don't have some wisdom that you have to seek counsel only for me. Why don't you call up a church member, grab your Bible together, and hit your knees together, right? It's to equip each other to able to find our gift and to be able to move in that. So listen, when each person is getting equipped for the work of the ministry you're going to start seeing things like the body healing itself. Meaning, that you're going to see people who are going to function in their gift, and now all of a sudden we don't have to go through a direct line of channel and have this committee and vote for that and then do this, and all in favor, hey, make a motion, hey, 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 how about this? How about we give you a $100 gift card and you do it? How about you don't schedule a lunch with me and your friend? How about you schedule lunch with your friend? You see, when we start equipping people to do that, then the body starts healing itself. But the last thing is this. It's to edify the church and to strengthen it. Why is Jesus giving the gifts? To exalt him, right? To equip you and then to edify and build up the church. Do you know what's going to be really cool about this when we have people functioning and moving in their giftings? Is we're going to have people speaking life into each other. Some of you maybe grew up in a home where the only time you heard good job, it was, yeah, good job, but... You never had life spoken in you. And you're going to have somebody in your community group who says, man, you know what? I've been seeing you serving in the past couple of weeks, and I believe God has given you this ability, and it's so encouraging. I see Jesus whenever you do that. What would the world be like? And listen, what would the community of Westside and the greater area of Popper Bluff be like if we had people speaking life into one another? It's to edify it. So the church is a diversity of people that are a unity of people who've been given spiritual gifts for ministry. So here's what we're going to do as the band leads us in a time of response. We've been given ourselves discipleship action steps at the end of each one of these. Because listen, look up here, look up here real quick. If all you do is listen to this sermon today, you wasted your time and mine. All right? If you don't come back next week, that's fine. We need your seat. It's okay, right? But listen to me. If you're coming to listen, it is a waste But if we start putting these things into practice, then you're going to see roots start to grab hold in your life. So what do I want you to do this week? The first thing is this. How about you write a letter to Jesus and tell him what you most love about him from his word? You can journal that. That's awesome. Some of you journal, that's great. How about this? What if you as a family sat down this week and mommy and daddy and the kids, and they all have a blank sheet of paper, and we say, dad, you lead out you say, hey, we're just going to write Jesus a letter. Tell him what we love about him. What I love about Jesus is um, that Jesus is always in control even when it's chaotic. And that in his word, he tells us about this story and the disciples and a boat and it was a storm and Jesus just said peace. That's what daddy loves about Jesus. And listen to me, guys. I'm so sick and tired of men just thinking that they're strong and I can hunt and spray deer pee on me and go do this and go do all that. And your baby's never heard you pray out loud. Bro, you better get out of here with that mess. Give me a break. Sit down and lead out. Mama, let them kids see what you love about Jesus, that it's not just them that you love ultimately. Goodness gracious, don't make an idol out of your kids, but let them know what you love about Jesus. How how cool would that be this week, man? And then secondly, ask the Holy Spirit in prayer with your Bible through biblical community what gifts he's given you. Here's what I mean. 
God, Holy Spirit, show me. I know that you've given gifts in your word. It tells me here, not my feelings, here. And then I'm going to ask some people in my community group, hey, hey, what do you think? And we're going to roll some stuff out later on and give you some assessments and stuff like that. But listen, what prayer is God willing to answer other than when his kids come to him and say, Papa, your word says you have a gift for me, and I want to know what that is. You think God's going to withhold that from you? I think you're going to see your life skyrocket in your relationship with Jesus. Put these things into practice. And here's how I want to close. I want you to stand, and you have an insert in your bulletin. And I want us to read this corporate prayer out loud together. Stand right where you're at. These words are from Ephesians chapter 1, and all we're doing is reading God's word back to him. A diversity of people reading in unity together. Westside, let's lift your voice out loud. The people of God reading the word of God. Praise be to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Holy Spirit, have your way with us today. Jesus, you're the giver. And may we worship you and not just what you give, but for who you are. God, I pray that through this series that you would open up people's hearts and minds. That we we would see supernatural things take place. But at the end of the day, what we want most is we want Jesus Christ to be made much of. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. You can come forward and partake in communion as you feel led.